could probably take that as a slight hint that we're about to hit pause on Luke for a little bit. We're going to launch into a mini-series that will take us through the end of this calendar year. And it is called Christian Atheism. What the heck is that? And that is a confusing term. That is a term that is fraught with contradictions and inconsistencies. And that's the point. There is sometimes inconsistencies in our lives. In fact, as I was preparing for this time, I was reminded of a story I came across some years ago. And I don't know why I saved it, but I did. And I think it's perfect for this morning. So let me read this to you. It says this. An atheist was taking a walk through the woods admiring all that the accident of evolution had created. What majestic trees, what powerful rivers, what beautiful animals, he said to himself. As he was walking alongside the river, he heard a rustling in the bushes behind him. He turned to look, and he saw a seven-foot grizzly charge toward him. He ran as fast as he could up the path. He looked over his shoulder and saw that the bear was closing. He ran even faster so scared that tears were coming to his eyes. He looked over his shoulder again, and the bear was even closer. His heart was pumping frantically as he tried to run even faster, but he tripped and fell to the ground. He rolled over to pick himself up, but saw that the bear was right on top of him, reaching for him with his left paw, raising his right paw to strike. And at that instant, the atheist cried out, Oh my God! Time stopped. The bear froze. The forest was silent. Even the river stopped moving. As a bright light shone upon the man, a voice came out of the sky saying, You deny my existence for all these years. Teach others that I don't exist. And even credit creation to a cosmic accident. Do you expect me to help you out of this predicament? Am I to count you as a believer? The atheist looked directly into the light and said, It would be hypocritical of me to suddenly ask you to treat me as a Christian now. But perhaps you can make the bear a Christian. Very well, the voice said. The light went out, the river ran again, and the sound of the forest returned. And the bear dropped his right paw and brought both paws together and bowed his head and spoke. Lord, for this food which I am about to receive, I am truly thankful. Amen. That's fantastic. What it points out is the inconsistency in atheism. So here you have an atheist crying out to God. Interestingly, sometimes you have atheists who don't believe in God getting mad at the God they don't believe in. It's inconsistent, right? So now we're into talking about atheism. And I thought I'd give you a definition I found online. Check this out. Atheism is the belief that there was nothing and nothing happened to nothing. And then nothing magically exploded for no reason. Creating everything, and then a bunch of everything magically rearranged itself for no reason whatsoever into self-replicating bits, which then turned into dinosaurs. Makes perfect sense, right? Make per- makes perfect sense. Now, here's the inconsistency part. So those who believe that will then appeal to morality, right and wrong, good and evil, 
inalienable human rights, human dignity, human worth, none of that goes with atheism. Atheism has no link to any of that stuff, and yet they will hold on to it. They steal, they borrow from theism in order to get there. So that is atheism being very, very inconsistent. But, that, but that's not the atheism we're talking about. That's atheistic atheism. I am talking about Christian atheism. When you say Christian atheism, that's an oxymoron. Hey, who are you calling a moron? That's a really bad joke. I'm so sorry I did that. But let's move so an oxymoron is, is uh, it's a contradiction in terms. An inherent inconsistency is woven into the term itself. And so here it is. You claim to be theistic. You claim to believe in God. You claim to be a Christian, but then you live. You think, you feel, you act, you react, you respond. Your, your hopes, your dreams, your expectations, all of it has nothing to do with God. You are like an atheist. You say you believe God exists, but then you live like he doesn't. A really great way to understand this whole Christian atheism series is this right here. Lips versus life. With our lips, we say we believe in God. With our life, something wholly different. It doesn't line up. It is out of sync, and I am calling that Christian atheism. Let me get at it in this way. Atheism says there is no God. Theism says God exists. Now you understand with both of those propositions, there are huge implications for our life. Huge. And it ought to affect how we live, especially when life gets hard. So look at this list, if you will. Let's say some of these things come into your life. You get diagnosed with cancer, you lose your job, and your spouse is leaving you. Add to that, your dog died, you have a country western song right there, okay? When those things happen, and then, or what about your child is diagnosed with a disease or a disability? What about all the needs? There's huge needs in the world that are calling for our time and our affection, our attention, our money, our energy. What do you do about those? What about all the people who don't know Christ? You have friends and neighbors and coworkers who have never heard the gospel. Now, the, with these things confronting us, I want you to think for a moment, what are the implications if there is no God? Okay, bookmark that for a second. Now, now think about this. What are the implications if there is a God? Now here's the kicker question. Which one does your life look more like? You see, that's Christian atheism. That, there, there ought to be a big difference, but oftentimes there is not a big difference, not but our lips, but our lives, Right? So we say things like, God is God and I am not. I am simply a horrible, messed up sinner. This is true. I'm a messed up sinner. I have no hope. I deserve hell. But by grace, because of the cross, I'm promised heaven. I'm in the bonus plan. Like God has been so, so good to me. And then something happens that I don't want. And I look up at the sky and I say, how dare you? Now, I might not shake my fist at this guy, but the sentiment in my heart is the same. Now, time out. What happened to all that stuff I believe? I'm, I deserve hell. I'm promised heaven. I'm in the bonus plan. See, all of a sudden, my lips and my life get out of sync. 
I think and I feel and I live like an atheist. My, my day by day, my gut reaction, my knee-jerk response is more like atheism than Christianity. And that's been happening for quite some time, right? Right since the beginning of Christianity. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a guy named Titus. It's in your New Testament. It's called Titus. And in chapter 1, verse 16, look what it says. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Okay, do you see lips versus life in that? They profess with their lips to know God, but their life, they deny him with their works. And it goes on to say they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. That doesn't sound good. Like, I don't want that to be us, right? So let's not go there. So, so I want to talk about this. So what I'm saying is uh, we usually think in, ter- in terms of two categories, but I think we ought to think in terms of three categories. So here are the categories. There's, there's atheists. Now, these are people who don't believe there is a God, and by and large, they tend to live like that. They are consistent. Now, I grant you, I've already said, yes, atheists are inconsistent at times. They borrow from theism. But folks, you understand, my goal in life is not to help atheists be better atheists. You understand that, right? That's not my concern. So, so really, for our purposes, I'm saying atheists believe there is no God, and they live like that. Theists believe there is a God, and they live like it. They are Jesus freaks. Their lips and their life go together. It's beautiful. But what I'm concerned about is this third category, the Christian atheist. And I think there's probably two subcategories under this. The first is uh, that crowd that we would sometimes call Christers. Do you know the term? It's a combination of Christmas and Easter, because that's the only time you see them. <laughs> right? The Christers, okay, they come twice a year. Now, we're glad they come. We're not against them. We're fine that they come. But the reality is they're just dabbling in religion a little bit. Their life really is not about Jesus. They likely are not really Christians a lot of times. So, so go figure. They say one thing with their lips, but their life looks different. Okay, that's one category of Christian atheist. That's not you guys. You know, it's not neither Christmas nor Easter. In here you are, right? So that's not you. But my guess is there's another category here, and I'll call them Christians with atheistic tendencies. That's most of us. That's most of us. And that's what we're talking about in this series. It is lips versus life. You say one thing with your lips, but then your life, the way you act, feel, react, think, respond, what you hope for, dream for, expect, our life says a different thing. And so if you look at this series we're ta- calling Christian Atheism, it has a tagline to it, what do you really believe? Not what do you believe, that's your lips question. What do you really believe? That's your life question right there. What do you say with your life? And so we're going to take some weeks to talk through this. We'll deal with how we respond as Christian atheists in the midst of suffering, how we approach prayer, how we view our time, issues of sin and holiness. We'll even throw Christmas in on this, Christmas Eve, kind of how we view Christmas is tied into this. That's where we're going. Now, what we're going to drill down on this week is the big picture, the meaning of life. What do you think life is all about? What are your goals? What are your priorities? And I don't want you to waste your life on Christian atheism. So to set that up, look at a quote with me by C.T. Studd. 
Studs said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. First, let me just say, I wish I had a name like C.T. Stud. I mean, seriously? C.T. Studd, what did he say? Rick McKee? <laughs> like, C.T. I wish, I don't. But anyway, but here's what he said. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Do you live like that? Ooh, okay, because we can amen with our lips. But what does our life say? Do we actually live like that? So the atheist says, that's a pile of bull. And their life reflects it. Go figure. They're consistent. The theist says that is true and rearranges her or his life around that proposition. They are consistent. But the Christian atheist is the one who amens that saying and then doesn't live like it. So let's talk about the atheistic approach for a second. Because it, it actually makes sense to me. This is a person that says that's a bunch of bull and lives like it. So, so listen, the atheist is one who lives for self, lives for the temporary, for the here and now, lives for this world. The goal of the atheist is to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. And I'll tell you what, folks, if there is no God, it completely makes sense to me. If there's no God, we absolutely ought to live for the here and now to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. The problem is not that the atheist lives that way. The problem is that the Christian atheist lives that way. The problem is not atheism. The problem is Christian atheism. So let's talk about that. I want you to think for just a moment. Think of your non-Christian neighbor, an atheist maybe that you know. What are her, what are his goals in life? What are the aims? What is life all about? What's the big picture for that person? Then if you think about it, I'm sure things come to mind like health, wealth, uh, popularity maybe, fame, success, looks. The American dream, essentially, right? And, and oh, by the way, what does that person want for her or his kids? The same thing. We want to pass on the American dream. We want our kids to have all that. Okay, good. Bookmark that. Here's the next question. If your Bible is true, what ought to be the life goal, the aim for every Christian? Think about that. When we say serving God, worshiping God, glorifying God, loving Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving my neighbor as myself, so I'm going to love people, I'm going to lay down my life, I'm going to give like crazy, I'm going to serve like crazy. Why? After all, it's all about eternity. It's not about this world. It's all fo- so I want to use my 70 to 80 years on earth to invest in eternity. Okay, great. Now we have a good picture of an atheist and a theist. And the question is, which does your life look more like? Not your lips, your life. And sometimes we find Christian atheism has snuck in. By the way, another way of putting Christian atheism is with this term right here, moralistic therapeutic deism. I put that up there so that you think I'm smart. (laughs) Yay. But listen, this is actually a term that was developed in 2005 by some sociologists. They were studying American religion. Particularly, they found that those who claim Christianity 
Oftentimes, when you dig down deep, what you actually find they believe in is moralistic therapeutic deism. What does that mean? Deism means, yes, there is a God who created us, but he is largely uninvolved with our lives. And because he is uninvolved with our lives, we can be uninvolved with him. And so while I believe in God, as, I'm a theist, but at the same time I believe in a small God, one who is completely ignorable. That's the deism part. The moralistic part is, nonetheless, I believe in God, but I, and I think that he wants me to be a good, nice, moral person. So we're supposed to be good people. That's moralistic. It's a workspace gospel. And, that, and then the, the term therapeutic. Think of therapist, right? So the idea is that God exists in order to make me happy, to make me feel good. Like I would go to a therapist to make me feel better about myself. So I go to God to make me feel better about myself. So that's why God exists, to make me feel good and happy. That's moralistic therapeutic deism. That's not Christianity. That's Christian atheism, actually. And so as we were uh, thinking about this series, by the way, the way this happens is about this time of year, I get together with a group of my staff and we start to brainstorm about series, little mini series of sermons for the next year. We know we'll be going through Luke, but how can we break it up? So about this time last year as we were doing that, I said, listen, I, I have this idea for a book I might write someday called Christian Atheism. And I started to describe what I wanted to do with this series. And stupid Gary Durbin interrupts me and, and, and says, uh, hey, you know there's a guy named Craig Rochelle who's already written that book? It's called Christian Atheism. <laughs> dang it, dang it. So it's okay. I have another idea for a book. I'm not telling you what it is. Because Groeschel will see it on this sermon. He'll steal my book again. Right? I don't want that. But I did get his book, and I read it a couple weeks ago. It was helpful in some ways. And he had a great thing to say in that. He said, here's how most people view happiness. Look at this equation. Better possessions plus peaceful circumstances plus thrilling experiences plus the right relationships plus the perfect appearance equals happiness. And if we were to be honest with each other, not with our lips, but with our lives, that's what we're after, right there. That's our equation. We're Christian atheists. The reason then that we become Christians, the reason why I allow God into my life, which is a completely arrogant thing to say, like I allow God into my life. The reason I fold God into my life is because I'm quite convinced that God can help me get that stuff. And so God is therapeutic. The whole point is that God is there to help me feel good and help me feel better. I've often asked you people time to time, do you think that you exist to serve God or do you think God exists to serve you? And you know the right answer. And so we say, no, no, no I exist to, say, to serve God. And, and so we're saying an amen, but we're doing it with our lips. The question is, what do we say with our life? Is it lips versus life? And so I want to tease this out a little bit more by going after a few areas in kind of rapid-fire way. And the first one is our children. For those of you who are parents, are your goals for your kids significantly different than your non-Christian neighbors? What do you want for them? Is God sovereign over your kids' lives? Like he gets to do whatever he wants and you're trusting him and okay with it? Really? Do your kids exist to bring God glory and worship and to extend his kingdom such that you as a parent are begging God, you're praying all the time, God, please make my child an overseas missionary. 
That would be consistent theism. I fear we are more like our non-Christian neighbors. We are Christian atheists. Or what about politics? Now, by this, I don't mean which party you tend to vote for. I mean, why do you trust in that stuff? (laughs) I understand why an atheist trusts in the government and in the political persuasion they have to solve the problems of the world. I get that. I don't understand why Christians are still trusting in politics. And then what we do is we go online to export our political opinion. And we do that because every time we go and export our opinion, everybody always agrees with us. Right? Everybody changes their mind, right? No. I completely understand why the atheist is so fussy and unkind about their political opinions online. That makes sense to me. What I don't understand is why Christians are willing to give up the testimony of our Lord in order to advance a political opinion. That makes no sense. That's Christian atheism. Or how about uh, apologizing? So in Christianity, what we say we believe, I am a horrible sinner, and I am saved simply by the grace of God. And, and, and so God's got my back, heaven is secure, and what God values now is humility. And yet I have such a hard time apologizing. I understand why an atheist has a hard time apologizing. I don't get why a Christian does. That's Christian atheism. Or what about the other side of the equation? What about forgiving? I mean, you understand, at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is forgiveness. Our whole faith is about forgiveness. Forgiveness received and forgiveness offered to each other. And then somebody wrongs me and it's so hard to forgive. I understand why atheists can't forgive people. I don't understand why a Christian would struggle with that. That's Christian atheism. What about your Bible? Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen? Do you read it? See, that's Christian atheism. We say amen to that, and then it gathers dust. This is the word of God that he spoke so that we could know what's on his heart. We ought to hunger for that and just rip it apart reading it. Loving it. Just loving it. What about your money and giving? Uh Uh-oh. Just got uncomfortable. What about money? Uh, let me give you uh, some statistics. They've done studies on American church-going folks, people who claim to be Christian and they go to church. And so 21% of Americans who con- consistently go to church, you know how much they give? Zero. Almost a quarter of them, a fifth of them at least. 71% of regular church-going folks give less than 2%. Most American Christians, the overwhelming majority, spend more on music and on coffee than they give to their church. And we're theists. Maybe Christian atheists. Now we wake up and we dream about how we can make more, get more, have more. Instead of waking up and dreaming how we can influence the kingdom more, how we can give more. Now, right away, you're going, wait a minute, time out, Pastor Rick. You're not saying like that 10% thing, are you? Listen, Pastor Rick, you understand, if I give 10% of my income to the Lord, I would have to completely rearrange my life. Yes, exactly. You might have, you know what, there's a name for that. It's called a theist. 
It's one who allows what is true to rearrange their life around that. You see, that's consistent. (laughs) It's already awkward enough talking about money. Why not? Let's go and let's talk about evangelism. That'll make it better. So evangelism. You go, whoa, 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 time out. You don't want me to be a Jesus freak, do you? Yeah, why not? Why not? Well, the reason why not is because I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to be disliked. I might get a question that I can't answer. Here's a question. Do you believe in hell? Because you understand, our scriptures talk a lot about hell. You know who talked about hell the most? A guy named Jesus. Had a lot to say about it. When somebody dies, the strange thing is, people say things like, you know what, she wasn't very religious, but she had a good heart. I'm sure she's in a better place. Huh. Now we're out of line with what we say we believe. Does, does eternity and evangelism matter? In fact, speaking of eternity, let's end with that one. The strange thing is that not many Christians seem to want to go to heaven. We'd rather stay right here, thank you very much, as long as we can. And this, But our lips, our belief, what we say we believe, this is a broken, fallen, twisted, sinful, messed up world. And the prospect that awaits us is to get the heck out of here and to go home to paradise with my Lord, the one who loves me and I love him. I had to be dying to do that. <laughs> See what I did there? Okay. So, <laughs> I had to be dying to do that. Instead, we live for this 70 to 80 years and we're investing it in this world that is going to go away. What do you really believe? Not what do you believe. What do you really believe? Your lips versus your life. It's Christian atheism. Now, when I was preparing for this, my wife Shannon uh, had some great input. She said, it's kind of like being married. Uh, that wasn't funny, okay? <laughs> and, and, and so here's, here's what, when you get married, it ought to change how you think, how you feel, how you act, how you react, how you respond, your hopes, your dreams, your expectations. It ought to affect all that, right? Like what if we knew each other for 20 years? We've been married 26 years now, right? So what if we've known each other for 20 years and I come up to you and say, yeah, I'm married. And you go, really? I had no idea. I had no idea. Are you sure? Are you sure? See, when you get married, it ought to impact your money and where you live and how you spend your time and how you vacation and your grocery shopping and your sleeping arrangements. Wouldn't it be? What, what if I lived, I'm married, but I live exactly like I did when I was single? Wouldn't that be weird? I'd say, well, listen, I don't want my marriage to mess up my life. I don't want my marriage to affect my life. That is like Christian atheism. Now, don't be confused about something. This is really important. Acting married doesn't make you married. Okay? But when you get married, you make a decision, and it becomes official, then we're saying, what we're saying is that marriage ought to affect your life. That's just like Christianity. We don't work our way into favor with God. So doing these things, well, I'm going to make my, sure my life's okay. Now God loves me. He ha- no, that's not the way it works. We enter into a relationship with God by faith because of the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how we get married. We become the bride of Christ. But now, having become married, marriage ought to impact your life. Being a Christian ought to impact your life. That's the direction it goes in. We don't live this way in order to be loved by God, but because we are loved by God, therefore we live this way. See the direction? So what I want to do then is I want to hit the reset button. 
I don't want you to waste your life and miss the big picture. And so I want this scripture of God to inform this by looking at 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to put the whole passage up there. It's squeezed in a little bit, but it's worth it. I want you to be able to see it all. Listen to this. And please, listen. Listen to this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, don't miss that, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. That's Christianity. That's theism. That's the big picture. That's what we need to live for. That is both lips and life. Because you believe these things, therefore, since you believe these things, do this. See, what it's talking about there is that this is a broken, fallen, messed up world. It is temporary. It is going to burn away. It's all going to be exposed. It's going away. Jesus could come back at any time like a thief in the night. At any moment. And at that point, it'll all be wiped away. It's kind of like Monopoly. You know when you're done playing Monopoly? Like you've got this huge stack of fake money that you were so excited about during the game. But now the game's over and it all goes back in the box. Right? And so we're playing Monopoly right now. It's fake money. And at the end of it, it all goes back in the box. We find out it didn't matter at all. C.T. Studd said it this way, only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. And so since this is true, be diligent in your relationship with the Lord. Be all about holiness and godliness. And you know what it says at the end? Look at the very last word in that passage. Peace. Peace. Not just peace someday in heaven. That's talking about what we do now. That God is looking to give us peace by getting rid of Christian atheism from our lives. He's looking to hook us up now to bless. God's not looking to screw you over. God wants the best for you right now. Think of a fish out of water flopping around on the beach. Doesn't matter if you give the fish a lifetime supply of worms. The fish needs the ocean. The fish is made to swim in the ocean. We were made for the ocean of God. We were made to swim in Him in glory and in worship. Let us not be distracted by a pile of worms in this world. He's not looking to take from us. He's looking to give us life. I heard it said that the same God who is asking from you your full commitment is the same God who is already fully committed to you. He loves us and he's giving to us. So in light of that, what I want to do is maybe a kind of a unique closing. I don't often do this. I'm going to play a video clip. It's longer. I usually don't play. It'll be almost five minutes. It's old. It's got terrible resolutions. So anyone under the age of 30 is about to hate me. Okay, like it's not great resolution. But it's a video clip of John Piper, a pastor, speaking at a conference. And it's really, really good stuff. Listen to this, if you will. 
You don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. And that's a tragedy in the making. That is a tragedy in the making. About three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way, over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, fly into eternity with a death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I asked. It is not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. You don't read Reader's Digest, I know that. But there is a generation who does. This is a tragedy. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early, February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells. 
as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. God, look at my boat, God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. That's a tragedy. To end up standing before your creator and all you've got to show for it is seashells? That is a tragedy. I love you guys. I want you to have full life. I want you to have real life. I want you to have the life God intends for you to have. And I don't want you to be distracted and attracted to some cheap knockoff version called Christian atheism. I love you too much for that. So what I want to do now is I want to close in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I, I come to you with my brothers and sisters and first we want to thank you. For you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You, through the cross of Christ, you saved us. And, and those of us who have put our faith in you, you have then adopted us as your children all by grace. And we are grateful. Thank you. But now we have to be honest, Father God, that we, we tend to get distracted and we forget. And our, our lips and our life, they don't line up at times. And so we start to trust in the things of this world. And I said this is about what is the big picture? What is it all about? What are li what's life? What, what are our priorities and our goals? And Father, we, sometimes we go towards tragedy and seashells. And I want to ask your grace in our lives right now that you would change that, that we would not be Christian atheists, but we, we would be theists. Uh, that what we say with our lips, what we read in our scriptures would infuse and would affect our lives. Make us those kind of people. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.